Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Rowdy Buddhist. It's so nice to be back with all of you. Today, we're going to talk about a very essential concept that I think is often overlooked because in movements and in ritual and in uh, manners, as we say in Japanese, saho, um, we tend to just go through the movements rather than understanding the intrinsic importance in that movement and what it personifies and means. Um, I think this is one of the difficulties of transmission to another culture or to another land because all of these have to or can be shown by other Buddhists, but uh, the explanation, the understanding, the depth is sometimes, uh, depending on the culture, uh, tend not to go into depth or understand the true meaning of it. And I believe in that uh, the connection or the emotional uh, awareness or experience uh, or the um, experiential understanding is missing. Because I believe, and this is one aspect of modern Buddhism that I think is laxed and perhaps missing, is that when we make each movement, we, we in the idea of mindfulness or awareness, we understand the exceptional nature and, and purpose of that movement. And the most essential uh, movement that we have is bowing. Uh, that is a prostration to the Buddha when entering or leaving the temple or in the morning at your Butsudan or evening. Uh, the true meaning of that uh, we should visualize and, of course, uh, deepen our understanding so that when we approach the Buddha, we can with full uh, awareness with full emotion, uh, with for, full devotion, properly uh, prostrate ourselves. And I believe in by doing that, um, naturally that is transferred to our body and mind and spirit. So therefore, uh, the effects of it are quite um, powerful. And the first thing that I'd like to talk about is the idea of holding the Buddha's feet with our hands in Japanese, this phrase is said as Zumen Sesoku Kimyorai, uh, which means again holding Buddha's feet in both of our hands. And we see this um, when we especially practice, uh, do our morning and evening service, Shodaigyo, etc. Uh, we bow with our whole bodies, touching the floor as well as the tops of our heads touching the Buddha's feet and our hands, holding the Buddha's feet up. Um, this is, of course, uh, an essentially important posture for us. And allowing and, and doing this respecting, respectable type posture, we, we make to the Buddha to show our true intention. And that actually, as I stated, if we understand the meaning uh, with our body and mind and spirit and deepen that, uh, it will allow us through this posture to abolish our personal arrogance and, of course, uh, selfish nature, um, then we are able to be humble enough to and compliant enough and, of course, grateful enough to receive the Buddha's teaching. Uh, this is said as Zange Kimyo, which means that when we make a deep and most sincere apologetic resolve, that is, of course, manifested through the idea of bowing. Uh, we are able to overcome our past wrongdoings and misdeeds and 
We do that through, of course, taking refuge in the Buddha. Zange means this kind of uh, misdeed or wrongdoings that we keep, we carry around is like dust on our bodies. So when we humble ourselves and, and, and bow before the three treasures, we are able to, of course, uh, remove and through apologetic resolve and humble behavior, we're able to um, atone for those wrongdoings and misdeeds by our practice of Buddhism, which allows us to then study. This is, of course, a historical uh, example of, of a cultural aspect, of course, found in India with teachers and students. Here, of course, in the United States, we think of just showing up to class for a student or giving our full attention or just simply um, being diligent in our practice. But actually, in uh, spiritual traditions as well as in uh, all aspects, a teacher is revered because of the information or experience that they have that we wish to have. So therefore, we, of course, need to begin with a humble mind, as we say in the West, uh, an empty glass. That if we actually approach a teacher with a full glass, uh, it usually overflows and we don't actually learn anything uh, we, because we have no capacity. But if we empty ourselves and humble ourselves, then we are able to actually pick up and learn those aspects that we wish to have transmitted from that teacher or from that teaching. We can actually see all through the world um, examples of this with the idea of early Buddhism. Uh, there is some, of course, discussion as to when uh, early Buddhist statues were brought into um, practice, in, into use, um, as far as the idea of Mahayana. But actually, one, one actual representation of the Buddha, which you may see, is, of course, uh, the Buddha's footprints. And this comes from the legend of the Buddha uh, that when the Buddha either stood there or sat there or taught there, the rock or the place in which the Buddha stood became imprinted forever with his footprint. And, of course, this was also a symbol of the Buddha uh, that symbolized his teaching, his enlightenment, and that was carved and cast and painted all over the place as replicas uh, as in the act of devotion. And these footprints actually have a name. They're called Buddha Pada. And you may have seen imprints of it, just two feet marks side by side, usually on a flat stone. Uh, it can also be painted, of course, and even cast uh, into metal. And this is, of course, the symbol of the place of enlightenment and of the Buddha. And it is believed that this was the most earliest version of how the Buddha was worshipped. Um, these humble feet symbolized the grounding and transient nature of reality and reminded the Buddha that, that the people that the Buddha was divine but yet was also a mortal that walked this earth, a real man who had footsteps, uh, both literally and metaphorically, and that that was something that we could follow. So in the idea of feet, uh, in many cultures, feet are considered um, dirty uh, because, of course, many people didn't wear shoes. 
uh, it's also the bottom of the body. So that also has um, context as far as uh, positive and negative. Uh, also, the feet were considered were many times unclean. So to humble oneself, to wash one's feet, to wash a teacher's feet, to touch one's feet, uh, was the ultimate act of humble uh, humbleness. And the practice of representing the Buddha through these types of relics, of course, began in India and uh, at the Buddha's birthplace. So touching the touching of someone's feet was to show respect. Um, and that was already commonplace in 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 the previous uh, traditions, such as Vedism. Uh, many people, you can see this with the gurus, and also if they approach certain statues of deities, um, you will see many people, especially in India, in Indian, Indian traditions, they will touch the feet. Um, and it's more than likely that the disciples would have done the same as per uh, Vedic tradition touched the Buddha feet and of course after he had passed away his footprints um, and the feet were to continue to show the subordinate position and the spiritual hierarchy of the Buddha so people could still uh, manifest as we had said this holding or touching of the Buddha's feet um, and to be able to release or make sincere apologies or great resolve uh, and purify one's past wrongdoings by the symbol. Um, some of the earliest footprints that they actually have were made uh, little, little over a century after the Buddha's death. Uh, uh, Asoka Maruda a Buddhist emperor, King Ashoka, uh, commissioned, for instance, the great stupa in the 3rd century BC, and, and with its carvings, he established the, the main symbols that we use for Buddhism and what we recognize today, such as footprints, um, prayer, prayer wheels, uh, swastikas, and of course, the lotus flowers. And each symbol was actually linked to the life of the Buddha through his miracles through the sutras and were intended not just to be decoration but to provide focal points for this frame of mind or meditation. So again we see the symbolic nature of early Buddhism especially with the concept of the lotus and of the feet of the Buddha. Um, Many uh, Brahmin texts and later Buddhist texts um, share with us the 32 characteristics, characteristics of the Buddha, uh, 31 of them being physical. And this was something that was, again, common in Vedic culture, that, that, were the, that there were the 32 characteristics of what we call a great man or an enlightened individual. And many of those aspects of the 32, if you read through the 32 characteristics or aspects of a Buddha or a great man, it relates to the individual or the enlightened person's feet. So, for instance, a great man would have feet uh, with a level sole so that he might touch the ground evenly. Um, this symbolized the idea of an even mind, a balanced mind. So, through the symbolic 
uh, literary devices or symbol, uh, symbols of enlightenment, we were able to understand some deeper teaching. And there are many teaching, many sutras that go into depth concerning each of these uh, characteristics. The other is that he has a mark of a thousand-spoke chakra or wheel on the soul. Uh, of course, the fingers and toes are long. Both the palms and soles are soft-skinned and covered with net-like lines. And these ideals that we see in these characteristics were, of course, replicated uh, both in the statue and in the footprint carvings so that the Buddha would be associated with the symbol of greatness uh, in the eyes of the um, practitioner. And even though, uh, even through stories from the Buddhist teachings or sutras, uh, suggest that in his life he was physically uh, indistinct from other men, uh, but these enlightened aspects are what distinguish an enlightened being. Um, especially as we see, these were also symbolic meanings towards aspects of enlightenment. Um, Buddhist monks and lots and and of course uh, practitioners uh, who were well versed in Buddhist philosophy, uh, of course, traveled the Silk Road, um, spreading Buddhism from India to China and Sri Lanka and Afghanistan. Um, and of course, the symbol of the footprint was distinctive uh, from other traditions and was, of course, easy to replicate um, in both the rocks and in temple carvings, etc. And as well as paintings, we see this on, of course, the Silk Road. And people would have actually have used it, uh, as we see in many times with Christianity, with the fish, they would use it almost like graffiti to show where someone had been, that that was a place that was touched by the Dharma by a person, um, and to remind those that who saw it of the Buddha's message, of course, in an era or, or place where people may not have been able to have uh, be literate or be able to read. So these important aspects, when we approach the Buddha's when we approach the altar, when we approach the, the Buddha in any type of representation, um, it states to us that we first should resolve our mind before we go into the physical action of bowing. Resolve our mind to understand that we're standing here before um, our teacher. And then with that mind, appreciate, bring up the great benefits that we have received from the Buddha uh, wholeheartedly. And then once we are in that correct state of mind, then we bow. And that bow or prostration is, of course, um, with that idea of holding up the Buddha's feet uh, and showing the respect um, that without the Buddha's teaching, we would be in darkness. We would be without um, hope or potential, that we would be unable to fulfill our full uh, ability, our full um, guarantee in our Buddha nature, through our Buddha nature. And that also we're unable to expedite, expedite our, um, expedite our negative passions, our sins, our zange, or as they say, for the for the um, a good translation of zange would be past wrongdoings, misdeeds, like a dust, which is also a concept of karma. So removing that and purifying the senses, that we do all of this. If if, if you did this, and and again, this is something that I. 
of course, you have to slow down in your practice. You have to make each movement purposeful and meaningful, not just going through the movements uh, and thinking that that is Buddhism, but to be an actively involved practitioner, it, it, it makes them so emotionally full, so spiritually full, uh, so powerful, uh, that when you bow each time, uh, you are so happy to be able to have met the Dharma. And that, of course, reinforces it through your sincerity. And when we bow, we have the opportunity to correct ourselves. Uh, that's a lot of times why uh, before becoming a priest or before doing any great activity or training, they would require a certain amount of prostrations to be done as a, a, a removal of one's arrogance or emptying of one's cup so that one could actually learn and progress rather than become, you know, being from a place of arrogance and not receiving. So this is, of course, for our benefit as well and to show uh, our appreciation to the Buddha. So I hope all of you will take the opportunity and time to keep this mind, to, to think more deeply and be more aware and visualize um, deeper in your practice and study. And I guarantee that it will make, um, it will deepen your resolve and deepen your experience and connection with the Buddha Nichiren Shonen. So uh, I hope all of you um, are doing well and continue with your practice and study. And I look forward to our next chance to speak. Namun myoho renge kyo.